Our story today is about a man whose best friend is an alligator called Rosie. He's a killer. All right. Mick Tate works at the Australian Reptile Park in New South Wales. His official title is Education Officer. But those who've seen Mick on stage during his reptile shows will all agree he's really more of an entertainer. Hey, Mick, how are you going? Hey, Trace, lovely to see you down. So um, here. Yes. Mick's offered to give me a backstage tour of the park's famous wildlife. He's keen to hit the ground running, but apparently I wasn't even in the right shoes. Poor choice of footwear. I don't think that's going to stand in uh, what is uh, that? good they're standing. A, they're just well, a boot. They are, they're beautiful, but um, they're going to be destroyed by the end of the day, that's for sure. I first met Mick with Rosie the alligator, positioned a little too close for comfort. I still have that alligator, actually, and uh, she spends a fair bit of time wrapped around my neck, really. That's a sort of signature spot. Standing at a lookout point in the park overlooking the alligator pond, Mick promises a catch-up with Rosie soon. I can't help but wonder if she's grown as big and menacing as the one swimming in the dam down below. Right here, we have a whole lot of huge alligators. We do indeed. Look, if I put one of those on, uh, around my neck, um, that would certainly be a highlight for the show, but it would uh, be a one-off episode. Uh, uh, these animals can be really bloody dangerous if you're not careful. Now, while you might be able to pick up a female, uh, one of the males here, they're, they're about 400 kilos, and uh, you've really got to be wary of them. They're not actually nasty, but, gee, if it goes wrong and they grab you, you'd be in a lot of trouble. They look pretty placid. They're just sunbaking. They are indeed, yeah. At the moment, it's too cold for them. Uh, below about 18 degrees, they just can't digest any food. So uh, they're sort of biding their time, waiting for spring. And uh, there's quite a few ducks that uh, live on the dam during the winter time, and that appears to be a fairly good idea. And then there's a fairly sharp learning curve for the ducks on the first day of spring when the alligators wake up. <laughs> We're looking at a huge alligator pond here. How many alligators live in this pond? In this dam, there's about 35. Uh, you won't really see them all all the time. They tend to sort of hide a little bit. There's a male over there at the moment who's actually trying to push another male out of the way for a prime sunspot. But you're telling me you, you uh, know them by name? Yes, each one has a name. They've got quite distinct um, personality types. Some are pussycats and um, some are uh, like your, your rabid pit bulls. But uh, look, they're, uh, they're non-threatening. Uh, I, I never think twice about walking around in the alligator dam. Uh, not once. Don't even give it a thought. They're, uh, they're lovely. Oh, oh, well, I will give it a thought. <laughs> but you were saying that obviously it's winter and it's cold yep. and they're not hungry during the winter. So does that mean I could actually take a bit of a dip in this uh, dam? Yes. Yeah, at this time of the year you could. Uh, the water temperature here is about 12 degrees, so uh, I think you'd be a bit cold, but they'd certainly ignore you. Uh, middle, middle of summer would be a different story altogether. Uh, they'd find you to be uh, invasive and threatening, so uh, one of the big males might uh, grab you and just hold you down and drown you, but that's just to teach you a lesson. So, I am joking. There's no there's, way in the world I'm getting in that dam with the uh, 25 well, I look, huge I, alligators. I've actually been in that dam, and this is, look, this is so embarrassing. About five or six years ago, I don't know whether you remember, but there was this popularity of these little dolls that look very much like human babies. And, of course, uh, somebody's lobbed one in the dam. I've sort of spied it out of the corner of my eye, assumed it's real, and next thing you know, I've gone over the fence to rescue this doll. So you thought it was a human baby, it, yeah, but someone actually a chucked baby. a doll. In the end there, right in, in the, the end. Alligator in the alligator. Yeah, in the... Uh, oh. In the reeds at the end of the dam, I sort of caught it and thought, oh, before you knew it, I was in the dam rescuing this thing. It's clear from the start that Mick is passionate about saving animals, no matter how great, small or dangerous. 
Mick, I want to have a little chat to you about your life at the park and what you do here and the animals that you've worked with. Yeah. But we're sitting in like a, is it an outdoor office or where are we in yeah, the park so right look, now? It's, it's effectively an outdoor office. We've got a little workshop here and uh, I've got a 40-foot container here as well. And inside that, I've got 1,500 funnel-web spiders for oh, the anti-venom program. Well, I hope they're locked in pretty tightly. Uh, fairly tightly, yes. I do happen to notice the door is ajar. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll go and have a look in there in a little while. That's our breeding facility for the uh, Funnel Web Anti-Venom Program. Sitting in a room surrounded by venomous spiders was not the interview setting I had in mind. But Mick is completely in his comfort zone. In fact, you'd be forgiven for thinking Mick's always worked with animals. But he was actually working in hospitality when a friend who owned a reptile park gave him a call. He rang me up and said, listen, I'm between idiots uh, at the moment and uh, you'd be perfect. So I arrived at the park for uh, sensibly three months and uh, that stretched into 26 years. So you've been here 26 years now? I have indeed, yeah, in various forms. Uh, I work uh, in and out of the reptile park at the moment, but in the early days I had a a road show which uh, travelled around Australia uh, going to schools and uh, making animals accessible to kids who uh, wouldn't get that opportunity otherwise. So, uh, yes, four years on the road, so it was an opportunity for me to really learn my craft as a performer and uh, uh, I was very au fait with most of my animals and uh, it was a a rip-roaring success and... uh, uh, after several years of that, um, just a bit tired of life on the road, really. So uh, I kind of effectively retired into the reptile park. So what animals were you taking on the road with you and how did you sort of transport uh, them? We had about 40 things in the car, uh, a, a big van with, you know, caging and heating and cooling and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we had a dozen snakes, we had about 20 lizards, uh, alligators, uh, crocodiles, of course, uh, and some uh, venomous snakes as well. So, uh, yeah, quite daunting for a lot of other people, but it became just a, a day-to-day uh, venture for us. So we didn't think twice about death adders and uh, crocodiles in the back of the truck. I'm glad to hear Mick has some boundaries for his own safety. But then again, maybe not. Be careful, Mick. Yeah. Heart, sweetheart, stay. That's the sound of a Tasmanian devil giving Mick a greeting, devil style. All right, you ready, mister? Oh. There we go. Oh, Oh, look at that. Watch out, Mick. Be careful. That's how you tell him, girl. Up close, up close. You won't bite you. No, you're right. As a group of wide-eyed kids look on, Mick tells me that the Tassie Devils here are part of the park's intensive breeding program. The species is sadly close to being wiped out by a cancerous tumour, the numbers dropping from nearly a quarter of a million animals to just 15,000. But in this present moment, I'm more concerned for Mick's own life. You gonna talk? You gonna talk? You gonna give me a kiss? You gonna give me a kiss? There we go. Mick just kissed the nose of a Tassie devil. You gonna talk? You gonna talk? You gonna say something? You gonna say? Alrighty. Now he's not terribly vocal. He can make a very, very loud noise. And uh, uh, they often used to think that the noise was to frighten off other devils. Uh, Reality is a little bit different. If you're a devil and you're on a big kill, you make a lot of noise, you actually call in other devils to say there is abundance here, more than I can possibly eat. Uh, So they're renowned for collective feeding. Now, if you weren't here, we just move the devil around like that. The animal is very, very strong. That's the industry standard way of moving it around. When people are watching, however, 
you put your fingers very carefully up under the animal's throat. You do it the right way, theoretically, he can't bite you. Having said that, I've watched several keepers over the years being bitten from this position. So, you've got to be pretty careful. You've got to know your animal, don't you? Yes, you do. Now, this is a hand-raised animal. And that means that they're the most dangerous because they're not frightened of you in the slightest. Uh, they understand body language. They interpret pheromones very easily. So if you're frightened, he knows that you're frightened and will take advantage of that. Now, he's starting to get a bit wriggly. And the problem is, when I put you down, there's a very slight chance that you're just going to come running forward and try and annihilate me, aren't you? Yes, because you're not quite as nice as people think, are you? You'd be a good boy. That's it. Alrighty, now this is a tricky bit. When we put him down, he will probably come ripping out. I'm, of course, wearing long protective trousers. Ewan, on the other hand, has got skinny shorts and chicken legs. <laughs> Righto. So, you gonna go, mister? Ah! It must be wonderful, like, being involved in a program like this. Look, it really is. Um, I've been doing this for, for 25, 26 years, and very sadly, every day, things have got worse. Nothing's got better. Things have, have got worse. The numbers have fallen. The number of feral cats, the, 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 the amount of destruction has increased, not decreased in that time. But this is the one project that I've been involved in that really looks as if there might be light at the end of the tunnel. And if we fingers crossed we can rescue this species and that really will be one of the first times that's ever happened. And it must give you personally a lot of satisfaction. I mean, hands on, you know, as hands on in, as you indeed, are. Indeed. I, I think uh, as a conservationist, as all conservationists, you don't want to just slow down the rate of loss, you want to reverse it. I like the look of uh, enjoyment and wonder on people's faces. Uh, I like to present animals out of context. Everybody's got uh, predetermined ideas of what animals do and are, and that's part of the reason I have the alligator up on my shoulders. People tend to scratch their heads and go, oh, I wouldn't have ever thought that. And then if you're very lucky, they keep thinking about a few other things as well. So uh, we don't like you to come to our zoo and sort of go home feeling down and dejected because things are so terrible. So uh, we try and present with a very light-hearted attitude and uh, if you can hide education behind humour, then excellent. And if everybody has an enjoyable and a, a, an educational day, then as they go out the door, I hope that uh, the attitudes of adults uh, are altered and I'm very confident that the attitudes of the kids have been altered and that's really the name of the game is getting those kids to decide uh, that these animals and our environment is worth preserving. And obviously you work with lots of different animals in the park. Is there one favourite animal that you have? Uh, look, I do like the alligators and I do like the big crocodile. The big crocodile is incredibly dangerous and um, very exciting in front of the crowd, particularly when he turns it on. That's a great educational opportunity and uh, people get very, very excited about the big crocodile. In addition to that, I do like the red-bellied black snakes and uh, I've got a bit of a soft spot for birds, oddly enough. That seems to be what happens to you when you're into animals. As you get a bit older, you start looking up instead of down so uh, I keep a lot of chickens and we, we hand raise a lot of birds at home, kookaburras and uh, cockatoos and whatnot. In fact the house I live in is always full of animals whether it's baby kangaroos, baby wombats, um, all, all sorts of stuff. We do a lot of hand raising here at the park. Um, part of our role is to take in rescued animals and uh, they of course uh, need a mum 
And uh, for many native animals, you're with mum 24 hours. So if you hand raise an animal for me here at the park, it's with you 24 hours. It literally sleeps in bed with you. Uh, if you hop in the shower, they get in the shower. If you go to Woolies, they go to Woolies. So they're with you all the time. So very special bond. And um, in our house, there's, uh, there's normally a couple of little babies being raised each year at least. I did see a YouTube video of you and Walter, the little wombat, and uh, obviously he was one that you'd hand-raised at home. Yes, indeed, yeah. He was a, an absolute delight, funny little guy. He just loved being at home, absolutely loved the lounge and all that sort of stuff. Uh, very okay with the car. He's a little cutie pie. The downside is that I estimate that little Walter probably did between about ten dollars and $15,000 worth of damage to my house. Oh, uh, oh clawed goodness. the uh, tiles off the laundry floor, went through a couple of internal doors, uh, developed the habit of um, standing on his back legs and grabbing a little bit of the bedclothes and just chewing on them. So oh, you might have had a kid that's done that in the past, so you end up with hundreds upon hundreds of little holes in just about everything. So he managed to chew uh, half the dresses in the uh, wife's cupboard, destroyed the bedclothes, destroyed a leather lounge, and bathroom doors, tiles, Oh, kitchen cupboards, yes, he destroyed those as well. So, uh, very rewarding having a wombat in the house. And the two options are, I suppose, look, you can lock it into an enclosure, but we tend to think, well, that's not much quality of life. The other option is just let him trash the house and uh, he'll be a happy wombat. And uh, I tell you what, he certainly was. He must have a very understanding wife, that's all I can say. Uh, Long-suffering, I think, is better than uh, understanding. Yeah, no, look, she loves all that sort of stuff too. And we really had two options. One is, look, you can have a lovely clean house and, you know, perhaps the Queen will arrive for morning tea at any moment or you can have this great experience with wildlife so that's what we decided to do and we literally run our house like a gigantic enclosure so lots of animals and uh, stuff zooming around the whole time and everything getting on pretty well. Were you surrounded by animals as a kid? Uh, look, I was. I grew up in uh, the 60s and 70s on Sydney's North Shore when life was pretty free, lots of bush. Everybody seemed to back onto the bush when I was a kid, so uh, we were very au fait with lots of animals and we kept a few things when we were kids. You know, we had a pet carpet snake and uh, we had a few turtles in the backyard and... Uh, Oddly enough, my nan had Alzheimer's and told everybody that I had alligators in the backyard. And uh, 30 years after her death, that uh, turned out to be true. I did have alligators uh, at home for a long, long time. So perhaps she could see into the future uh, more than we ever imagined. Finally, Mick takes me to see his best friend. Mick, is this where Rosie lives? Yes, indeed. This is what we call the roller room. Now, it's uh, it's got a marvellous name. It actually gets that name because it's got a roller door attached to one end. Uh, and that means that I can open that door and have direct sunlight come into this room, uh, which is essential for many of my animals. And basically what we're looking at here is lots of great big, enormously large plastic tubs uh, filled with water. They're all heated. This room is also air-conditioned. So there are lots of these big containers, they're all named, we've got What's that in there? That's the Terminator. That's an alligator snapping turtle. That comes from the southern part of the US and that's an animal that can easily sever a finger. This is Tiny, Tiny Tim. Tim. Tiny Tim is a one metre long male alligator. He's in training. This one here is Rosie. This is my signature animal that uh, works with me in all my shows. Next to her we've got Arnie. 
Okay, and Rosie, of course, you have a unique bond with. I do indeed, yes, yes. Uh, this animal and I have been together for, uh, well, all of her life, which is almost 18 years. And uh, in that time, I guess she's been seen live by about 4 million people, so well and truly done her part as far as education goes. And for me, these animals, uh, Rosie in particular, has really opened the door to so many things. Um, uh, being very calm and in my hands or sitting on my shoulders, that is so intriguing for people and it, it's just this fabulous uh, invitation to do some education. People just flock to her uh, and just want to know all about her. Well, I've spoken to some of the other um, keepers at the park and they said that Rosie is incredibly fond of you. Oh, yes. Very yes. fond. Now, yep. now how, do you, how do you actually develop a relationship with a reptile? Uh, look, it's it's just time. It's just time. Very different to a dog or a cat. Not that high uh, order of emotions, but it's about familiarity and uh, feeling non-threatened. So uh, she's very familiar with me. I can pick her up in any way. I can open her mouth, put my hand in her mouth, all that sort of stuff. She doesn't find me threatening in the slices, and uh, she's very, very familiar with me. So, uh, And she knows I'm nice and warm, so if it's very cold and I pick her up and give her a cuddle, that's, uh, that's lovely. That allows her to pick up two or three degrees of body heat by snuggling up to me. So she fundamentally knows that physical contact uh, doesn't represent food and doesn't represent threatening behaviour. So there's no reason to be defensive. Uh, she's calm and relaxed. And uh, if she's with me, e even in a, a crowd of high school kids, she's calm and relaxed and uh, she'll sit with me. All the kids can touch her, no problems at all. Uh, very, very different animal to a crocodile. And I might say quite atypical for an alligator. I've, uh, I've worked with a lot of alligators over the years and... Uh, while I've had a few that have been very, very tame, uh, this one is absolutely exceptional. She's famous in zoos right across Australia and, in fact, internationally as well. So she's a superstar in the, across yes, the world? Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Yeah, everybody knows Rosie. In fact, if I uh, appear at any function or television, uh, the first question I get is, where is Rosie? So sometimes I feel that she's the one booked on television and uh, I attend just as the handler. <laughs> Rosie, where did the name come from? Uh, look, it was a, a nice, friendly name. Uh, it's very tempting to give animals, you know, uh, aggressive, bite-your-hand-off names, but uh, that doesn't really make the animal accessible to the community as a whole. So I thought if I give her a nice, cute name that everybody can relate to and sounds non-threatening, that that would be cute, and uh, that's it. So it was Rosie, and, of course, the joke evolved that if she bites you in a bath, the water turns a rosy colour. I mean, for me, I'm just looking at... Well, obviously, a two-metre alligator? Not quite two metres, a bit, bit under uh, two metres. And, of course, a uh, fair bit of it is uh, the end of her tail. Now, the female alligator is, uh, is tiny compared to the male. The male grows to enormous, about four metres and several hundred kilos. The female's actually tiny by comparison. But I don't look at Rosie like you look at Rosie. To me, it's an alligator with a scaly skin and big claws that can bite oh. my hand off. So, oh, no, she's what beautiful. do you see in Rosie that oh, I don't? Please explain. Oh, I just see the most beautiful girl. She's got a lovely personality. Uh, when it comes time for food, look out, it's food time. But the rest of the time, uh, a true delight. Now, I'm just putting my hand in. I'm literally just holding her by the tail. I'm popping my hand underneath her. She's soaking wet and she's sitting in my arms and uh, she's as calm and as relaxed as she could possibly be. So, uh, she's not struggling. Uh, she's not frightened, not scared in the slightest. 
So you hand-reared Rosie. Hand-reared her, yes. She was with me all the time. Uh, at one stage, I lived here on site at the Reptile Park, so she was effectively living at home. Uh, so uh, oh, eat no. dinner, telly, walk around the house, uh, three-legged dog, the whole lot. And uh, as a result, she was uh, uh, very au fait with humans. She had a spa bath that she could literally jump in and out of at will. And uh, as a result, sort of grew up to be pretty much like a dog. And as a result, she's a very, very effective educational tool and uh, would rather be with people than not people. It's, uh, it's actually lovely. Now, if you want to have a little touch, you won't touch her on the head, but you can certainly put your hand out. You can give her a bit of a touch on the, on the body or the legs or anything like that. Hello, Rosie. Long time no see. Yeah, she's... You're a... still feeling slimy and wet. Oh, well, she's wet because she's come out of the water, but uh, uh, traditionally um, they spend a fair bit of time on the land and uh, they've actually got very soft skins. When they walk along, they lift their bellies off the ground because the skin on the tummy is very, very soft and they'd injure it if they drag it on the ground. So they have what we call the high walk. Is she looking at me? Uh, yeah, she's interested. Um, she's, she doesn't see you as food. She's not threatened by you. She's, she's quite literally intrigued by you. That's all. Now, Trace, you're going to give her a little kiss no right on the end of the face? No freaking way. You could. You Sorry, could you I'm it. not you Mick. Stop it. Yeah. Oh, now you're remembering how I got the scar on my face. <laughs> I but, am. Uh, a it big was, chunk. It wasn't chunk this one. From your... And this one. Oh, look, you're a delight. You're going to give your dad a kiss, hey, sweetie okay, pie? Okay, Mick's about to kiss mm. Rosie on the Oh, thank you, lips. sweetie pie. You're a beautiful girl. I can see Mick and Rosie share a special bond both behind the scenes and on stage too. Now, is anybody here who'd like to watch my alligator attack a child? Let me make it easy for you, parents. You want to watch the gator attack somebody else's child. A lot of the people who I've met who work with animals seem to prefer the company of animals over humans. But for Mick, the animals are a way for him to connect to people. Hey, Rose. What are you doing, Rose? You're not attacking. Really? You're not going to attack? He's definitely a man who's following his heart and sometimes that's not always the easiest thing to do. When I was a kid, all this stuff was just wandering past the whole time, but now it's an absolute rarity and uh, the rise of the cane toad and the feral cats mean that uh, there are fewer and fewer and fewer native animals and uh, uh, I think in the past a lot of people's attitude is, oh, you don't have to worry about it, you know, the zoo industry's taking care of it or the blokes at the reptile park are looking after that, we don't have to worry about it, but the reality is you do have to worry about it. Things are getting worse and worse and worse and uh, the kids of today will be the decision makers of tomorrow and, uh, gee, if they're not with the program, then God help many of our native species. So what do you think the most important message about animals we should pass on to our children? I think it's uh, the old adage, where in their backyard, when you look at that animal, he's, uh, he's 10 million generations to get here. He's fought, survived, and uh, unfortunately for this generation of lizards, it's tougher than it's ever been with diminishing habitat, human encroachment, uh, a myriad of other factors you have to contend with. I think it's miraculous that some of these animals are even still here and the responsibility for the next generation of kids to uh, ensure that they, uh, uh, the species are perpetuated is, is enormous. What about on an emotional level? What do they teach you? Oh, oh, I think I've suffered a lot of loss. I think I've uh, experienced joy. That's one of the nicest things. Uh, the double-edged sword is, of course, when you've hand-raised an animal and it's time to go back to the wild, you stand there with tears dribbling down your face and desperately hoping that you never see that animal again, that it will be successful in the wild. So, uh, look, there's all sorts of emotional responses, but, gee, some of the greatest joys in my life, some of the greatest sadnesses and some of the greatest losses have all been regarding animals. 
Unfortunately, the people over here have burped me. Yes, in particular that woman with the child. Now, what irks me, irks my alligator. So, you're over here, it's chemistry. If you're over here, like triple O's away, yeah? Do it, Rose. Oh, slow motion. Go on, over there. Now, all the books say that you can't develop any kind of relationship with a species like this. Ah, think again. Don't believe everything you read about the species. They are a true delight. And this one is about to turn 18 years of age. She's been with me all of her life. And everybody says, oh man, she's so tiny. How big will she be when she's full grown? Where All Animals was presented by me, Tracy Preston, producer Ludimovic, executive producer Liv Proud, sound production by Matt Nikolic, creative direction by Jennifer Goggin.